0: Welcome to Changing Conversations with Billy Burke and me, Sarah Philp. This is a podcast creating space for conversations with, for and by educators. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. When we talk about what matters, we come alive and conversation has the power to guide us into new and different actions, offering the potential for great things. We bring you conversations that have resonance both now and in the future. With the help of guests and the odd solo episode, we explore leadership, learning and well-being. We have the conversations we know you want to listen to. In this episode, I chat with Bex Ewart. Bex is, amongst other things, the host of Education Scotland's Pedagogy podcast. We took the opportunity to explore Bex's big thinking around the role of the adult teacher educator, and we hope that the conversation and the reflections spark some thinking, some insights and some questions for you to be curious about. Bex, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to, to meet you formally and properly, um,
1: even though it's on Zoom. How are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. It's been a busy day. So, um, yeah, but looking forward to this conversation.
0: Good, good. Um, I think we only have busy days these days, don't we? <laughs>
1: Yeah I do yeah I agree with you. It unless, like that. Yeah
0: unless we're on holiday then sometimes busy is is not how we define our days but so often um, when we're working busy tends to be the the common theme I think. Mm. More, and yeah, more,
1: particularly at the moment across everything I think.
0: Yes yeah so you've had a busy day tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what 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 does the busyness mean? What does it look like for you on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um, okay, so I am currently working as an early years quality improvement education officer in Edinburgh City Council. Mm-hmm. Um, and that looks like um, supporting settings to make sure that they are able to develop and they've got the tools they need to make sure they're meeting the standard, national standard to deliver funded ELC. Mm-hmm. Um, alongside that kind of, quality role and that supportive role across settings I also have strategic responsibilities as part of the role and one of those is play pedagogy across um the early level and that's been really interesting over the last few years kind of looking at that uh smooth transition and that kind of continuum across the early level from ELC into primary one and really starting to unpick what that means in terms of pedagogy and role of the adult and all those kind of things and the tensions that that brings. Um, And I think everybody is feeling really busy at the moment. That's the kind of feeling that we're getting both from folk in ELC. There's a lot of staffing challenges there because the the doubling in entitled hours has meant a massive explosion of the workforce (laughs) Um, and all of that kind of recruitment and retention that comes along with that and then the kind of covid recovery and attainment push and you know it it doesn't feel like we've had a space to breathe for a while
0: Mm. yes i sense that sense that that busyness and that um momentum that comes with that as well that sometimes prevents you from just taking a pause and kind of taking a breath and i think sometimes as well looking up and looking out I think when we're busy yeah. and there's, there's pace to what we're doing, almost feels like we're looking down and, and literally just looking a little bit ahead of ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think that the kind of feeling of external pressure and plus the fact that there's always that kind of moral drive, right? So we get into education because we really want to make sure that children have the best. Mm-hmm. And that's really important and it feels urgent. Yeah. And so you can get kind of caught up in the 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 treadmill of just trying to get things done because it's just you have to do it and it's so important.
0: Yes, yes. Um you're right, that moral imperative, but that also can lead to um, well ultimately I guess it can lead to burnout, can't it, if we don't if we don't check that and if we don't observe how we are in that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And but it's it's we're generally or specifically for me, I'm really bad at giving myself a break (laughs) and giving myself space. And I think kind of generally across Scotland, we're not very good at that. We're quite self-critical as a, a culture yeah. and just, yeah. And also not particularly not particularly comfortable with being vulnerable and kind of going, actually guys, I need, I just need 10 to step back. Yeah. You know, that's, that's hard.
0: It is hard, but I can't help but wonder what would be different if we did more of that when we needed to, or before we needed to.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. And it's the kind of things we have this sort of we have a whole vast um, array of professional knowledge about neurobiology about the kind of sympathetic nervous system about what the stress hormones do to us and and especially for our children about how we need to create these um, conditions for learning best and then we don't necessarily take that learning from that sphere and think about what it means for us as the adults
0: yes yes
1: I wonder why. Uh, that's a really good point. I think for me, I feel a little bit like it might be self indulgent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's you know my job is to get stuff done. It's not to it's not to have people worry about me. I have to worry about others. Yeah. And I think as a as a profession, particularly in the early years, we're really caring. We want to be the fixers. We want to hold folk. But it's yeah, we're not so gentle to ourselves sometimes
0: no no and you and you're right we do the idea of it being self-indulgent or selfish is is something I hear um I hear a lot and I've shared this often with people um and we spoke with Don Ledingham way back in the early days of changing conversations but one of the things he he once said to me was if you were to place yourself on a continuum from selfish to selfless where would you be um and I probably said somewhere in the middle, <laughs> um, hedging my bets, somewhere in the yeah. middle. And he was like, no, you're you're definitely much more towards the self, um, the selfless. Um, I also have to think about that the right way around. And what his his argument is that many of us actually can do with could do with being a bit more selfish, but we've determined that as a bad and a negative thing and something to avoid. So we go to the other extreme and actually we probably need to find a bit more balance.
1: Yeah, and I think it's weird, isn't it? Because ultimately, we want we need to be the best us to be able to be the best yeah. for the children in front of us. Yeah. So it's it's you know that kind of carving out a bit of thinking time, carving out a bit of time to reflect and stop. Ultimately, is probably going to be positive, but then I guess that also feels like wasted time almost because you've got these. You know, I need to do that. My list is big. You know. Blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah yeah
1: that that balance is is a really difficult one to negotiate
0: it is and and i think as well balance has that sense of it being a very um a kind of very small point a very ta- um what's the word i'm looking for um not precious <laughs> what's the word i'm looking for um specific a very precise very specific and precise and fleeting almost you know yeah can you sustain that balance? Because it almost is that sense of perfection when you're in that space. It feels very, um, very narrow, very, very hard to achieve. Um, yeah. And something more sustainable might support us um, differently.
1: I think for me, learning to be able to communicate when that's happening is really important. Yeah. And then kind of developing that culture where, you can kind of give and take with your colleagues as you need. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that's something that I've only come to later in my career. And it's, you know, I do, I have that, I have a fantastic team of colleagues I'm working with at the moment. And we are really aware of one another's strengths and when we need to support and we can step in and communicate that way. But that it does involve a layer of, or, or quite a big level of vulnerability and openness that feels quite, scary I guess because you know you have you have to open yourself up to be able to do that (laughs) and and know that you're going to be held rather than feeling like somebody's going to go back at you and go oh for god's sake come on get a grip (laughs) it's
0: um psychological safety ultimately I guess it's that ability to take the interpersonal risk and know that it will be rewarded rather than punished ultimately
1: yeah and also to be able to hear things that are challenging sometimes Mm. so I'm Again, it's something that I've learned later and spiff it and particularly it was the into headship course that uh-huh. gave me the space to start to think about the importance of it, but actually taking criticism as something that I can use and um, think about and adapt and, and ultimately grow from rather than it feeling like an attack and something that is, um, you know, that, that I'm not good enough or whatever, you know, that's learning to learning to hear that kind of criticality is something that I came to very late and, and I had to be supported to get there rather than something that came naturally.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, think we, I think we all have work to do when it comes to our relationship with, with feedback. Um, I often talk about developing a strategic relationship with feedback. Um, it's, it's about being open to it and it's looking for that feedback but also recognising that not every piece of feedback that comes your way do you have to take on board and absorb into your being and your way of yeah. um We need to make those decisions for for ourselves. We need to be critical in the way that we make, we make those decisions as well. So we started this um, podcast conversation saying we'll see where it goes. and that, yeah. <laughs> That's what I like about podcasts. Um, but that gives me an opportunity as well, just to um acknowledge what we're chatting just before we started there, that um you're used to being in my seat, if you like, on the yeah. podcast. So do you want to say a little bit about the podcast work you're engaged in at the moment then?
1: Yeah. um, so it kind of has a bit of a weird origin story. Way back before Covid, I was doing some work with um a number of practitioners in Edinburgh around about. How best to support professional learning, and what were the kinds of things that would, um, that that would be able to help practitioners to engage with what's happening, um, and to spark that professional dialogue? Because the research internationally is like it's actually not necessarily your qualification, yes. but it's the level of high quality professional dialogue that you engage in, and that kind of negotiated solutions that you arrive at based on the clear rationale, um, and. Uh, a couple of fantastic folk, a teacher called Lucy and an early years officer called Carol from Edinburgh came up to me after one of the sessions and they're like, what about a podcast? That'd be brilliant. You know, we can listen to it on the bus. We can. And then everybody can listen to it and come and talk about it. And it doesn't feel like you're having to read something dry Mm -hmm. and it can spark conversation that way. So so the idea was absolutely not mine. (laughs) Um, But we ran with it, which was great. And I've supported two from from the center um in the education leadership in edinburgh which is again great because it's not necessarily your standard way yeah. of of getting messages out yeah and then realizing the ambition was released just pre covid mm-hmm. and that obviously is a big piece of um national practice guidance and i was thinking well do you know what in for a penny in for a pound and i just fired a random email off to the authors so lynn taylor Marion burns and yeah. um liz and brilliantly they came back and said yeah we'll do that that's great so we we started having this conversation and it was really supportive and that's fab then kind of fast forward a while and lynn and i stayed in contact and then um the oecd review came out and one of the key points was that in order to be able to start to to see improvements and to see sustained change We needed to be able to find a way to support teachers and practitioners across the system, not just in the early level, but into primary and secondary to be really articulate about their own pedagogy, to be able to talk about where it comes from and to be able to um, be critical of it in a way that, that would support them to make the best choices for the learners in front of them. Yeah. And the message that came back from teachers and practitioners was, God, no, not another document, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the, what's ended up happening is I'm in the really privileged position of being able to have really interesting conversations about pedagogy with a whole host of different folk globally.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the idea is just to just to start those conversations. Because I, the thing is, I don't think there's any right answer because there are so many Mm -hmm. contributing factors to moving things forwards and and each solution will be you know meeting the needs of specific communities meeting the needs of the bodies of professionals there but we have to be able to have those conversations and I think that's a really important point so yeah but it does feel very strange to be on the other side yes
0: I've been on the other side a couple of times and I definitely prefer this side (laughs) (laughs) um What's been your biggest learning from, from the process of having the conversations and sharing
1: the podcast? Probably that there are key themes that keep coming through. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't anticipate that there would be such a strong thematic um kind of thread across the conversations. Yeah. And it's it's trust and it's vulnerability. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and both of those things keep coming up and that the the space that we need is as, as a profession to be able to take calculated risks, yeah. and not worry that we're going to be judged. As long, you know, we're yeah. not talking about going off and doing something completely crazy and idiosyncratic just because you think, yes. But but there's you know these kind of solutions that we can explore and build upon, and actually that collaboration, you know, we're we're still really siloed, and because I think partly because of that business, right, like it's really difficult to make space to collaborate and go and talk to somebody and you know that can seem like an add-on rather than something that will actually ultimately lessen the load and um kind of make it easier the the other key thing that's coming through is that kind of criticality about what happens by habit you know what what actually are we constrained by and when you look at it from a kind of when you have that space to look at it right we and we don't have that necessarily as a profession we're going to need to be able to work on how we do that but when you take a step back and look at it actually we're constrained not by too much there's very little written down in legislation about what we must do Mm -hmm. and even the things around about the exam diet that happens further up the school. There's different pathways and different combinations that you can put together in terms of kind of building um, qualification packages for children and young people that meet their their strengths and their their skills. But it, you need that time and you need that space to be able to do the thinking. Yeah. So, so some of what
0: constrains us is our capacity to do the thinking. I think so, yeah. And I don't, I don't mean the necessarily the internal capacity to do the thinking, but the the time and space to do the thinking. Yeah.
1: yeah. And also the perceived. The perceived tensions that are out there, so there's a lot of we can't because, mm. and you know there's and sometimes I feel, certainly the the biggest shift for me. I spoke with Andreas Schleicher from the yeah. OECD. Yeah. And I was anticipating that conversation to be really kind of all about the attainment all about the the measurables all about the international comparisons and it really wasn't and you know he was he was really clear that we ultimately are looking to help people to flourish so that's the first thing yeah and then as part of that there's a balance between the art and the science of teaching and absolutely their creative solutions but there are also going to be these core stable aspects that we can build on Mm -hmm. so yeah it is it's it's exciting yeah but it is you know you need that space and you need a bit of um a bit of courage to to start pushing the levers a bit
0: yeah tinkering or pushing at the edges as well Mm. if there was one conversation you'd love people to listen to you which one would it be
1: Oh geez, I, do you know I actually can't even because each of them has been so <laughs> important. The one of the ones that I really loved was speaking to the young people at um, Westfield Primary in Twerficken,
0: Uh-huh.
1: and they the, the head teacher there, Marnie Ferguson, has been absolutely courageous and has really embraced what Curriculum for Excellence. You know the, the core bits of that that could make it brilliant. So there's freedom, there's choice, children are leading their own learning, they're working um, across stages, they're not necessarily in, in age yeah. groups, and the walking around her school was just an absolute joy. So I was talking to the kids afterwards, and I was going, if you know, there's if there's one thing that the adults need to know, what is it? And um, one of the children went, well, do you know, you need to know that we really want to learn, but you make it so boring. <laughs> 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 like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. And then when you think about the larger messages, that fits in with the keynote that um Santiago gave yes. around about that, you know, what's the difference between schooling and education? And yes. you know, so there's there are these key themes, and I feel like there's a groundswell. Yeah. But there's just a you know, what's how are we gonna just move it forwards? <laughs> yes. yes, it's that
0: um and Santiago talks about it as well, you know, all the conditions are there and there's a kind of there's like this anticipation, it's almost like that tipping point. It makes me think of um do you remember those things you used to get at the the amusements and things with all the two pens the copies, two P machines. Pens, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's like we're one of those machines I remember just like, is it gonna go this time? Is it gonna tip? Are we gonna do it? And it just feels like that it's stacking up and it's stacking up, but what's gonna be the thing that kind of tips us into that state of doing and, and acting and being brave and courageous?
1: I think there's a kind of, there's a, a feeling like we've been here before. Mm-hmm. So I, I was at a creative conversation where David Cameron was talking and he was saying, do you know, yeah, fine. It's all good and well being excited about the the Hayward Review and, and what's coming through with the Muir Report. But we've been here before, do you know, there, and there's nothing different this time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, so then what have we got? We've got a profession of teachers. We've got different um people within the education system so what have we not tried with what we have to get where we want to be and I guess it's actually you know let's there's nobody else is going to do it (laughs) (laughs) so so how do we do it yeah yeah what um when you talk I get a real
0: sense of the the passion and the love for for what you do and how you do what you do and who you work with what's what's been the sort of golden thread I suppose for you throughout your your journey to where you are now what what keeps you here what drives you
1: it's so it's going to sound really schmaltzy <laughs> <laughs> I um I fought against becoming a teacher so when I was in school I wanted to be a teacher um but just you know I was I was really good at maths and science and so I was kind of uh, funneled down an <laughs> engineering route yeah um and then didn't enjoy that and so went back and thought well I can't go into teaching because my mum's at- no I just I'm, I only want to be a teacher because my mum's a teacher so I went and did my first degree in philosophy which actually I think is has provided me with a space and a thinking kind of operation system that yeah. I've really valued later on and then at the end of that degree I still wanted to be a teacher so I was like okay come on. <laughs> back and do that but the, but the reason one of the reasons why is my younger brother has um, profound learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. And at the time when he was growing up, we didn't have a particularly embracing culture of, of yeah. people who had additional support needs. And my parents were kind of told, oh, just, you know, you've got one, y- your daughter's, you know, just concentrate on your daughter and, and he'll be fine.
0: Yeah.
1: And actually there was, my parents didn't give up, but also his teachers in the schools that he was in were really noticed his strengths and and supported him to flourish to become the most realized version of himself, which, yeah. you know, it it seeing the potential in folk, I think is brilliant. And then seeing that moment when the penny drops and something works. And I think that's that's really motivating. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's where it started. And then just seeing seeing people grow is just amazing you know and that's that predominantly when I was teaching was around about the the children that I was working with but now it's it's in the same way kind of supporting and challenging folk to develop in their professional practice. Is it's that same kind of you know here here's the challenge I'm not going to tell you how to do it but I'm here to catch you if it doesn't work
0: yeah yeah and to you know you when you said that you put your arms out as if also i'm here to help as
1: well it's that kind of scaffolding i suppose yeah it's that safe Uh, we all need safe space to take risks yeah and we need we need i suppose it's that um the kind of reassurance that you know you're not going to break anything right if you try something and it doesn't work you'll learn and you'll work out what aspects were the bits that meant that that wasn't successful this time and then you can share that and be like I guys no don't try that because this is how it (laughs) fell flat for me but next time I would yes and it's those those ways of seeing folk kind of experiment and the it's almost that joy of practice right you can find Mm -hmm. where your spark is and it's I think we as a profession have lost that a bit because of covid because of the attainment and because we're all I don't feel like we've all had the chance to properly recover and, and gain our equilibrium yes. over the past few years. It's been so quick. And then we all suffer if we're, if we're not there properly with that spark properly with that joy and, you know, I'm here because I love it. You know, I yeah. remember why we're here. <laughs> yeah,
0: Yes. And when we were kind of chatting in preparation for, for this conversation, very loosely in preparation. <laughs> but, um, you you said your big thinking at the moment, um, and I'm curious about how your philosophy experiences kind of helps you with your big thinking. Um, but you said your big thinking at the moment is around the role of the adult, the teacher, the educator and in the current landscape. So can you can you say a bit more
1: about that? What is that thinking that you're exploring at the moment? I guess there are kind of two strands to that. Mm-hmm. So the first is, we know internationally that actually hierarchies are pretty damaging in terms of practice, relationships, moving things forward, that kind of agency. Yeah. And entrenched in education, there are hierarchies still. I think you know, particularly, and it's really it's really obvious in my sphere of work between. Yes. How early years practitioners are valued and their skills and expertise are seen um, by the wider education community, but also how we talk about um, others, other education professionals and other members of our education community, our support assistants and their expertise that they bring, although they might not have specific training, they'll definitely have strengths that we don't, right? And so it's that that kind of specific traditional understanding of the various roles in education and also I think it's the way we're using language Mm -hmm. so the way that we have traditionally thought of learning is that kind of transmissive model right it's the 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 adult the teacher has the knowledge they plan ways to be able to transmit the knowledge and it's the learner's job to catch it and somehow Kind of internalize it but we know that that's not how learning actually happens best yeah. but have we challenged kind of that assumption that word learning we use it a lot but do we mean the same thing when we use it and similarly when we're talking about teaching yeah. there's certainly when i was training to be a good teacher was i will plan lessons i will have a learning intention i will have success criteria there are going to be 33 kids in front of me and they will each be doing what i've asked them to do yeah and they will have they will conform to these certain behavioral standards they will be sitting in a certain way (laughs) (laughs) all of these things actually when you start to interrogate them get in the way of learning and and start to use up that kind of your your working memories is is there right actually my core isn't that strong so i'm gonna have to really concentrate on sitting up properly and not fidgeting and so if you're concentrating on that, how on earth have you got space to try and catch what I'm throwing at you? Yeah, yeah. So I think we I think we need to have those conversations actually about what what we mean now by teaching, mm-hmm. what we mean now by learning. Yeah. And I think the curriculum for excellence is fabulous, but it completely expects something different of teachers mm-hmm. than had been expected potentially by the five to 14 Yeah, you know, and I'm not sure we had the conversation that went alongside that. So we have these kind of conflicting um, pulls. We have to be two things at once, and they're not necessarily compatible all the time.
0: And do you think we're up for that conversation now? Do you get a sense from the work you do and the conversations you have that
1: people want those conversations that they're curious about those conversations? I think there's more of an appetite for it mm-hmm. um, but the other thing is that actually we're also not saying that you've got to throw everything out right so there is a space for a whole host and a whole range of different pedagogy a whole range of different practice and a whole range of approaches and for some folk that actually really works do you know that kind of structure that expectation fab great and a lot of teachers are in the position that we're in because it did work for us you know we we fit within that rectangle yeah so what we don't need to throw the rectangle away but what we do need to do is broaden the edges of it so that we meet and offer that chance for success to more folk and to you know to kind of broaden it out yes But it's it's a it's a disconcerting conversation to have. And it also I think, and again, I'm going back to my own experience. When I was at teacher training, I was kind of encouraged to create my teacher persona that was maybe kind of three or four foot ahead of me, do you know? And yeah. it was that was me as a teacher. And behind the me as a teacher was the person with the first name and the person who existed outside of school. Yes. but that doesn't work when we're really thinking about pedagogy as relational learning as a social um endeavor and that kind of authentic relationships
0: yeah yes it's interesting that isn't it almost like the uniform or the 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 things you put on to be the teacher or to be the, the whatever yeah like a mask in some way
1: and, and yeah, it's, and sometimes you need that, right? So sometimes you're exhausted, bad things have happened, your cat's died. You have to come in with your face on. Yes. You don't, nobody's saying you've got to come in and, you know, break down in front of your class because you're really sad. But there is that sort of give and take. And I think particularly now we're seeing it with, you know, with particularly with older children, like, they really pick up when you're not giving them the respect they deserve. We're, we're, we're a rights respecting nation. Do you know we're trying to enshrine it in our laws? Is that compatible with not really taking the time to actually form those human relationships and really live what we mean when we're talking about UNCRC? Yeah.
0: Yes. There's like a discrepancy between things. You said there, um, it's a disconcerting conversation to have what what's what makes it disconcerting what do you notice
1: again i can only talk from my experience Mm -hmm. right so the when you start to really examine and link your personal and your professional identities together you become really painfully aware of your shortfalls And as teachers, and I think, again, this is kind of the kind of cultural thing, Mm. we're supposed to have the answers, we're supposed to be in control, and we're supposed to be able to do stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, you realise, actually, I'm not, I'm no good at this bit. And then you've got to be vulnerable enough to go over and go, but that, see see Liz over there, she's fab at this, so I'm going to go and either, you know, ask her to help me out, we'll do a bit of team teaching, or I'm going to go and ask her advice, or, Mm. but there's that admitting that we don't have the answers, yeah. That and again, it's we. It's cultural. It's having those that space to talk about it, and it's kind of thinking about what that means in terms of how you have relationships with your children and your young people in front of you.
0: Yeah, you're um, reminding me of conversations um, we had a previous conversation with um, Lucy Kelly around. Her well-being diary, um, but also she's now writing a book around perfectionism in educators' education. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there, there's an element of that in what you're saying as well that we get this sense of this this idea of being the perfect teacher or being perfect leader or being the perfect early years um, person in and in, in different ways and what that means um, we can get really hooked by that um and constrained by that as well because we have this idea of what perfect looks like or what it means to be perfect.
1: Yeah, and the conversations are hard because it's also really hard to offer critical feedback.
0: Yeah. Because
1: it it can feel like you're being um offensive, right? So um some of the ways that um that I've explored with some of the settings that I've supported is like they have a code word for when they're going to offer um Mm. feedback on practice so yeah. you know this is and the code they've discussed that actually the code word means there's a thing I've noticed that might help you to get better yeah so that they have that immediate understanding that yeah. what somebody's saying to them isn't an attack yes so they, they go potato <laughs> and then they'll like you know and it's something that just breaks you know it's not related to anything at all okay. but it's that shared it's that shared understanding and that yeah. kind of culture of this is going to be said with the best interests so yeah. hear it in that respect and it's not about you not doing something well enough it's yeah. about maybe this might help next time
0: yeah I love that um one of the the books I often recommend to people is uh, Thank You for the Feedback by Sheila Heen I think um and they talk about um missed, uh, misaligned kind of expectations when it comes to feedback and that's often why we, we put up the barriers and the defences around feedback is we, we go in sort of expecting one thing and we're given something else and we use the term feedback when we mean one of three things. We might mean sort of praise and positive feedback, we might mean evaluation, here's where you are in relation to a certain standard or we might mean more of that kind of coaching of here's a different way you could do it or here's how we could do it better or how we could improve it. But if you go in expecting praise and you get an evaluation, immediately, yeah, yeah, you've got that kind of reaction to it and that resistance to it. And it's those mismatched expectations can be a real source of challenge. I love that idea, though, creating a code word, even yeah. if it's potato. So yeah. just clarity is
1: genuinely a word unrelated to... Yeah, totally. It's just if you anything. hear it, it's, you're not going to hear it in general conversation, right? So you know and the the idea um sprung from when my um gran was on her last legs with a brain tumor and she was having various different hallucinations Uh and so you'd go you're on the train to Basingstoke and she'd know that what was happening wasn't actually realistic and it just helped her to manage what was happening rather than going no no there's definitely not a bird at the end of your bed
0: yeah yeah and because sometimes as well when it comes to feedback we can we get anxious about giving it mm-hmm. so we have a big preamble and a big story and almost try to um like lay the foundations for it but in doing that we're kind of confusing the other person yeah it's harder for them to keep up with what the heck we're trying to talk about
1: and also everybody's busy right so yeah. actually if if you can tell me something in five seconds that will help me to do things yeah. more efficiently or, or calm this you know it'll ultimately be better for me and the children yeah don't take five minutes <laughs> i've got five minutes yeah. i'm going to be even more stressed then because I, i'm trying to juggle a, you know all the other things that you're that are going on
0: yeah our, our bandwidth i suppose it's back to that idea of being busy but i think our bandwidth is what it has always been yeah. but what we think we can fit into that bandwidth is so much more than it than it ever was before
1: yeah teams has got a lot to answer for for that
0: (laughs) teams has a lot to answer for for a lot of things in my opinion (laughs) but yes
1: yeah those before when when all meetings were face to face that you had the travel time between or even just if it was standing up walking and now when you're you're moving from meeting to meeting by the push of a button and you can fit more things in you don't have that decompression time you don't have that space to to consider and see what it means and and kind of try and fit it into what's what you're thinking already
0: yeah so what's next with your big thinking where do you
1: well there's a couple of things um we're in year three in edinburgh of a partnership with education scotland exploring play pedagogy and kind of that partnership between elc and the early years of primary and what we can learn from one another and we're really starting to get into the the kind of interesting stuff around about play because play is another word that has um a whole host of opportunity for confusion if you don't really get there um and uh so that's that's really exciting and then i'm also kind of towards the end of my master's um at edinburgh uni and the last bit is a research project and writing that up and that is around about teacher identity it's around about looking at those um, kind of unexamined points where there might be tension do you know um, I think restorative practice is a really kind of obvious one for me because we can all talk about it right but and we all know why and we can all um, kind of give the background to it but if you were brought up in a specific way and you believe that was a good thing for you, you then have these two conflicting bits because this works, but also that's wrong. And so if we don't have those conversations to unpick those unconscious aspects of, of how we are as we are as practitioners and teachers, then we're gonna come across that kind of cognitive dissonance. And ultimately, you know, we get that change fatigue where we we comply and we perform. But as soon as it's not in the kind of front line and not in the kind of viewpoint of everybody, it can slip backwards. yeah yeah
0: so how do we reduce some of that friction you've You've mentioned the word friction a few times in different ways, or tension. How do we do we need to do we want to reduce the friction or actually is the friction good and, and something to be embraced?
1: I think there are useful areas of tension that mm-hmm. that will allow exploration and growth and understanding on both sides. Mm-hmm. But I think we, especially when there's that internal tension, when you're acting against what you kind of feel and you feel a little bit just out of kilter. That's yeah. not a good place to be as a person. It's really uncomfortable. And it is it is one of the things I think that might make it harder to find that joy and to practice with joy because, you know, you don't believe in that bit of it. Yes. So I think having those conversations and really making time for that and, and just supporting one another to be kind of gently critical, mm-hmm. empathetically critical, I don't know. It's. We have that. We just need to start having more conversations, I think, yeah. and be less worried that we're going to be met with gurns and dismissive, dismissive waves.
0: Yeah, it, it's almost like how can we reduce the stakes? Because if conversations are high stakes, that's mm. where there's that often that kind of anxiety or tension or expectation or vulnerability. But the more conversations we have, the lower the stakes
1: yeah
0: because that becomes the mode of doing stuff
1: when i've been running um development recently i've started having a prize bag for when you're stuck so Mm. i'm like you know i i only i come over if you're stuck if you're really kind of getting confused about something excellent that's where i need you to be that's the bit where you're gonna kind of start to explore stuff and so it's that recognizing when we do, we're brilliant at it with children, right? We talk yeah. about the learning pit, I'm we talk about growth mindset. Yeah. But our experience wasn't that. So we actually have to do quite a lot of explicit, considered, you know, we have to make the effort to think that in that way and to challenge ourselves in terms of what we ultimately, you know, have, how we see ourselves in that way.
0: Yeah. yeah. I feel like we could talk for ages, much longer <laughs> than, than we're here for really, um, and I've enjoyed the freedom of just exploring where the conversation uh, goes and um, just following the different threads that have that have come up, so thank you for being willing to go with that and see where we <laughs> ended up, um, but as you know we finish all of our conversations with the same two questions, so my first question to you is what are you reading at the moment?
1: So I have a few things on the go at the moment. Um, because I'm studying, I'm dipping in and out of books, but the ones that I'm yeah. keeping on returning to are liberating learning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is really good and challenging in certain ways, but you know also quite reinforcing in others. You know, we 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 need to be able to be comfortable in where we are to be able to move forwards in what we know is right. And then a book called Who Do We Choose To Be by Margaret J. Wheatley, mm-hmm. which is about thinking about the conscious choice of building our identity and, and how that aligns in terms of the various different biological imperatives, but also what that means in terms of trying to begin to counter some of the less positive aspects of social media and post-truth and all that kind of jazz so that's been good and then in terms of fiction I I I love fantasy and historical fantasy is uh what I'm I really like to get lost in and my son actually found this book it's called Babel by R.F. Quang and it is set in oxford in the 1800s and there is magic but the magic comes from the tension in between different languages and that's where the magic is generated so the most powerful magicians are those polyglots and particularly those who have got who think in um completely different scripts so that's really good and there's elements of colonialism and kind of that whole uh, adventure that goes along with that which is lovely and then finally, a book by William Letford, which is From Our Own Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a mixture between prose and poetry. And it's set in Scotland just after AI takes over. Oh. <laughs> and so it's it's a working class family. Um, they're kind of moving forwards. <laughs> but there's just, you know, when it's just laugh out loud funny. <laughs> But also a little bit skeety. (laughs) I
0: was going to say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation about AI, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, Lovely. We love hearing what people are reading at the moment and nobody ever is just reading one book. So we always have many. (laughs) Um, And so lastly, do you have a quote or message that you would would leave listeners with?
1: I think be critically and empathically curious mm. and question the things you do by habit and the, the structures that you think are immovable and if they are fab and get a rationale behind them and if they're not then what does that offer you where mm. can what can you do with that
0: be critically empathically curious and ask the questions i think yeah. um i think you've modeled that beautifully for us through <laughs> <our> conversation <laughs> I think that's a perfect message to end on Um, and as I said just a huge thank you for for being willing to um, give us your time um, but also to to share your thinking with us and just to be curious and explore so thank you so
1: much no worries it was lovely thank you very much
0: thanks for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it and found it useful if you enjoy listening you can support us by following on your preferred platform sharing on social media, or leave us a review. Thanks again.